Welcome to Gold with Jeanette Schneider, nuggets of inspiration for a bigger, better, more purposeful life. Each week we share wisdom, insights, and gold from those living their very best lives. After 23 years in finance, I left my executive role to advocate for women and girls in life, love, the boardroom, and the marketplace. Now the CEO of Live Media, I am thrilled to create wellness-based content and technologies to help you level up and become more conscious of your ripple. The Live app launched Christmas Day for Apple iOS. This is purposeful content, big conversations, and a beautiful place for us to share our gold, our dreams, and create community. Gold is a Live Media production brought to you from the sound studio at the Live headquarters. Dr. Christopher Willard wrote the book on breathing, literally, and believes mindfulness should be taught in schools and around the globe. He is a psychologist and educational consultant and has been practicing meditation for 20 years. He has led hundreds of workshops around the world with invitations to more than two dozen countries. Today we dig into the importance of mindfulness in children as suicide rates are on the rise with more anxiety and depression in this vulnerable population than ever before. He shares how important it is for parents to lead the way and offers a few tips and tricks he uses with his own son. Dr. Willard currently serves on the board of directors at the Institute for Meditation and Psychotherapy and is the president of the Mindfulness and Education Network. He has presented at TEDx conferences and his thoughts have appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Mindful.org, and elsewhere. He is the author of Child's Mind, Growing Up Mindful, Raising Resilience, and eight other books for parents, professionals, and children, along with six sets of cards and therapeutic games available in more than 10 languages. He teaches at Harvard Medical School. Let's dig in. I am so excited to have with me on Gold today, Dr. Christopher Willard. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So I was just sharing uh, with the good doctor that um, my daughter was reading his book last night, Breathing Makes It Better. I know you have another one coming out, um, but I thought it was so funny because um, we found you because you talk, you teach mindfulness for children. And I know that you have been like, uh, it seems like almost like a lifelong meditator. Haven't you been meditating for something like 20 years? I have. Yeah. I said, so, so and, and I think what's kind of fun is to think about what does that really mean to, to practice mindfulness or to meditate? So I guess I've been formally meditating for 20 something years, but, but I think, you know, one of the things that's cool about kids is that they're so already inherently mindful. So I, I can really say I've been practicing mindfulness my whole life, but in a more kind of formal way um, for maybe about 20 years. And I, you know, I think about childhood experiences that so many of us may have had, like just, you know, looking at clouds in the sky and watching mm. them disappear or waiting for shooting stars or, you know, like watching a river or the embers of a fire, or just trying to, you know, walk quietly in the woods. And, and, and those have so much in common with, you know, what, what we now call mindfulness, right? They're all really in the moment. They're all really very focused and, um, you know, really being aware and, and, and paying a certain kind of attention. So I, I think oftentimes I talk to parents or I talk to professionals and they're like, what's this crazy thing? Mindfulness with kids. You're nuts. It's like, no, 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 no. We're not even trying to add this in. We're just trying to kind of pour water on the seeds that are already there and, and keep doing so many of these childhood activities that so many of us grew up with. And that's, that's what allows a practice to really kind of blossom a lot later in life is, is how I feel about it. I love that. And I think it's funny because I, as I was sharing with you before we got started, uh, my daughter, um, she's very hard on herself. 
um, tends to be a re- relatively anxious kid, um, has a hard time falling asleep. And so, like, I took her to a guru to teach her transcendental meditation, which actually really worked. I mean, we she got to the place where she was falling asleep by 9 o'clock every night. And her dad called me and was like, what are you doing? What is this magic? What has happened? But then... What is this witchcraft you have done? What did you do? But then she was like, she got stubborn because she wants every... She's like, she has to kind of decide. She wants to be an active participator in, in decisions revolving her. So she's like, I'm not doing that anymore. So I have tried to force mindfulness down her throat. And I was, you know, sharing with you before we got started that I put the Breathing Makes It Better book on her nightstand with a bunch of other books. And this morning I found it in her bed. And I'm like, yes, she's reading it. Like I've tricked her. Ha. Um, <laughs> this is the best thing I've heard all day or all week. <laughs> like, this is great. <laughs> well, it's funny because like when you talk about like it's something that's already there, I guess it is, but it's kind of funny when you have a child who's so conscientious, right? Who's so wrapped up in and I don't even know that it's achievement. I think it's just she she wants to be the best she can at everything. That I don't think of her as being mindful, but I guess in play it's it it shows, right? Like that's when their that's when their mindfulness is is really being experienced. It's through their play or when they're having those like I, she loves the ocean and she loves to feel grass under her toes and things like that. Yeah, and I you know to me like when I when I talk about mindfulness, I think there's so many different avenues in, you know, we can do kind of playful things with the breath like in my Alpha Breath book that are with Daniel Rechhoffen. There's, you know, like, you know, just goofy breathing things. There's ways we can bring it to, to movement. And I'm happy to talk about that. But you really brought up like our five senses, <coughs> which I think, <coughs> excuse me, is again, just one of these wonderful ways. Like I often think about how our, our, our thoughts, right? They're, they're, they're racing off to the future. Oh my gosh, this is going to happen or this could go wrong. Or I'm so excited about this. Mm-hmm. Or they're stuck in the past with like regret or sadness or, or, or you know trauma for some people, and you know but our our five senses are just always in the present moment, right? So taking time to like let's just really feel our feet sinking into the sand at the beach. Like mm-hmm. let's really take a moment to listen to. Let's see if we can notice all the sounds around us. So let's take a moment and just count to five sounds or ten sounds. And, and really quickly, when we do something like this, it really brings us right into the present. And like, you know, when I was, when I was little, I, I don't know if it was like a commercial on TV or something, but it was like, if you're feeling angry, like count to 10 and you'll feel better. Mm-hmm. And like, everyone was like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I'm still mad. Right? <laughs> and, and like, <laughs> you know, we know how well these things work. But I, well, one thing I do myself now, whether I'm mad or anxious and I, and I, you know, again, do this with my kids my own kids and, and, you know, as well as the kids I work with as a, as a therapist, it's like, you know what, let's count to five sounds together. Let's count to like 10 sensations that we might notice, like the texture of your clothes and the temperature of the air. And, you know, is your, can you feel your hair on your head? Can you feel your feet on the ground? Like these ways of getting in touch with our senses, you know, a little bit of a game, you know, a little bit of a challenge doing it together. Mm-hmm. This brings us right into the present and is this wonderful way of of making contact with the moment in this really mindful way that, again, it helps with the anxiety. It helps with the racing thoughts. It helps with with so much that our kids might be struggling with. That's, you know, again, in the future of the past. But it, but our senses bring us into the moment. And that's where nature, I think, in particular, can be so can be so helpful and so powerful. 
Do you think that we have to get parents on board? Do you think that the the racing thoughts and the anxiety in our achievement culture is something that um, we kind of unfortunately lasso our kids with? Like we create these these achievement concerns or worries and, you know, like with my daughter, and this is one of the things I wanted to ask you about too. Um, you know, she is a child of divorce. You're a free therapy session out of I am. I totally am. And I know, like, I know there's a bunch of moms who are listening right now who are like, ask him this question. <laughs> but like, do we, are we basically like, do the parents, when they're in therapy with you, do the parents have to buy into mindfulness? Do they have to also have their own practice in order for it to be successful with child? Right. And, I, and I'm just teasing, of course. Um, but but I do think it, it, you know, it makes such a difference. I feel like we consciously or unconsciously, you know, our own anxiety. And I mean, what's really interesting to me is the way all emotions are contagious. Like and anxiety is one of the most contagious emotions. Mm-hmm. It's also one of the most contagious from parents to kids. And it's not just genetics. It's the way we act. It's because it's something that our kids really look to us for, is this a safe situation or is it not? You can see this in the animal kingdom um, for, for animals that look to their parents to know whether their things are safe or not. And if the parent animal, if the mommy duck or whatever or chicken is, is scared, then the child gets, gets scared. The baby does. And this happens to our kids too. So, so the way we act really does have an impact on our kids. They, they pick up on our anxiety in particular I remember when when my son was born talking to the pediatrician and he said, you know, I've seen a lot of kids, um, you know, who are anxious without anxious parents, but I've never seen anxious parents without anxious kids. (laughs) It's like, Mm. oh, boy. Um, Right. And and I think, you know, something for us to really think about, you know, how how we manage our own anxiety, how we model that to our kids, how we manage our own stress, how we model that to our kids. Um, And and again, you know, the inverse is also true. Right. So how we model mindfulness, how we model managing stress, right? You know, of course, we're going to get anxious. What do we do about it? And so right. I get asked all the time, like, how do I make my kids more mindful? Or how do we make a mindful school? And it's like, well, you can make kids like stressed out and anxious and miserable by just surrounding with stressed out, anxious, miserable grownups. And mm-hmm. if you want to make them more mindful and, and more calm and more compassionate and present, that's the kind of adults you need to surround them with to start to change the, the culture. Now, this is also really hard. Like, how do we actually do this? And I, I, I do think, you know, one thing I do is, is I practice as a clinician, I practice with the kids. Like, we do these things together. And with my own kids as a dad, you know, despite my son's, you know, occasional protesting about it. He's five years old, by the way. Um, you know, like, I, I think about this one situation where we have, I mean, so many of us drive our kids to school, right? I drive my son to school. We've got this one terrible intersection, Right. Where it's always like, are we going to make the light or not? And if we make the light, we'll be on time. If we don't make the light, we're going to be late. Was a <laughs> late slip, but oh, my gosh. Right. My son's a little bit anxious about this. So like, we're almost never late, which is good. But the point is, we get up to this light and, uh, and it's like the light is red. And I'm like, oh, red light. Well, I'm just going to focus on my breath. I'm going to see how many. Actually, I'm going to see how few breaths I can do before the light changes. So I'm going to do like slowest breathing possible to see how few I can do. Do you want to have a contest? And so he then, you know, it's like traffic is something that stresses all of us out. He's learning at age five, hopefully, because he's gullible because he's five, right? You know, that again, like, you know, dad, this is what dad does when he's stressed out. He slows down his breath. 
Right. And so now we like get in traffic somewhere and, you know, we're like on the highway or something. And my son's like, dad, dad, there's traffic. Can we do some breathing? And I'm like, <laughs> I love like him. got That's him. Easy. Right. And, you know, he'll figure it out at some point. But but again, for now, it's like this is what we do together. So that's just kind of going to get burned into his little brain a little bit that when we're stressed out, we take a few breaths. Like he's learning how to read right now. And I and I taught him about the, you know, the 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 the, the reset breath because mm-hmm. he was getting all like jammed up and sort of like guessing at the letters impulsively because he wasn't. He was getting frustrated, and so he would just start spouting out, like, what he thought the word was. It's like, let's just take a reset breath and reset your brain, and then, you know, let's, like, come back at it. And then he, like, spelled the word fine. So, you know, again, like, you know, just thinking about how do we do this, how to do it together, you know, it's like, let's Mm -hmm. both take a reset breath together. Like, these kinds of things, you know, I think we practice together a little bit, or we do a little bit maybe before bed or before dinner, and it just starts to normalize it. So I do think that like kids can learn this stuff without their parents, but it's going to go a lot further when we practice with our kids and do it together. So it's not like, hey, you, you're anxious, you're angry, go breathe, right? It needs to be a lot more than that. It needs to be like, oh, like this is kind of scary. Let's do some breathing together. This is frustrating. Let's do some breathing together. And as they get older, they'll, they'll internalize that. But when they're young, I think it's important. And they'll be that age where they, you know, whether it's nine or 12 or 15 or what, where we're like, you know, say, let's breathe. And they'll roll their eyes so far back in their head. We're going to, you know, worry about them getting eye strain or something. But like, it's, 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 it's still, we're reminding them and it's still like they've internalized it and they probably will take that breath. They might just not want to show us that they're doing that breath, right. um, but they'll have that skill that they can take on later into later into adulthood. So I think, I think modeling it is so key. What is, what's the reset breath? Tell me, tell me what the reset breath is. Usually I just do like a long breath in and a long breath out and do, mm-hmm. and like count, like count all the, like I like seven eleven breath, like breathe mm-hmm. all the way into seven, breathe all the way back out to 11, um, or a reset sigh. Like a sigh is something that all of us do anyway, because we're, you know, a, a sigh is a self-regulation technique that we do unconsciously. Cause if you think about a sigh is like a very long exhale, Right. And, you know, when you do a loud sigh, it actually kind of vibrates and massages our organs. Regardless, doing a long exhale starts to reset the nervous system to so it's a little bit better regulated. And so we reset our breath and we regulate our breath. And that means we're actually resetting and regulating our physiology and in turn our brain and all of that. So what I'll sometimes teach kids is I learned this from my friend Irene, the uh, the silent sigh or the stealth sigh, mm-hmm. if, you know, cause teenagers will sigh at you. Right. So, you know, you want to teach them like a not so passive aggressive <laughs> version of it, but right. like, you know, just breathe in nice long sigh all the way out, press all the air out as you're pressing out all your frustration or all your confusion or all those letters that are jumbled up in your brain and making it hard to read. Today, Gold is brought to you by Live Media and the Live Pocket Coach, available on the Apple App Store now. Not only is Live Like a Life Coach in your pocket, but we have coaches in 3D as well. With our most recent upgrade, you can sign up for one-on-one coaching with a person on the phone who will hold you down, hold you accountable, and offer you perspective as you build your big, bad, beautiful new life. 
Apple users can sign up for our Premium Plus plan through the app or check out our next level and mastery options at loveisviral.com forward slash coaching. Android users, we haven't forgotten about you. Live Coaching is available to you as well. Just reach out to us at dearlive at loveisviral.com and we'll fill you in on all the ways Live can create with you. Live Pocket Coach, welcome to your life. With my daughter, we did um, we do uh, I can't remember if it's twenty or forty second. We do we do hugs, twenty second hugs, and so since she was little, you know, from the time she was very very young, um, she had a very she was just she she had so many things that she wanted to say and so many emotions and didn't know how to appropriately express them. So we taught her about emotions very very young, and so she now at eight can be like, I am angry, I am feeling jealous. This makes me sad. So she can she can absolutely share her emotions. But we started a few years ago. Like I'm like, do you need a twenty second hug? And we'll we'll sit chest like well, I'll hold her chest to chest and I'll just hold her and we'll count together. And some days when it's really bad, she's like, "Can we do sixty seconds?" <laughs> because, and I've explained her to her like this actually resets your your I guess it's your parasympathetic nervous system, and helps you calm down and then we can talk and we've had these conversations even with her dad who doesn't understand when she has all of these emotions and she doesn't know how to express them like you have to calm her down first because she can't process what's going on right 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 she has to have a moment where she's like her body is like calm she's she's gotten to like that reset it's not the breath for her but i'm definitely going to suggest it for her to adopt when she's ready um but I think it's it's so important, and I, I think one of the reasons, like, this subject is so important for me as well is, you know, I keep seeing all of this data coming out about how um, the suicide rate for adolescents and teenagers is the highest it's ever been. Gosh, yeah. And I, that is really concerning to me, especially when you have kids who I I, I – have people on the show all the time who's like, well, technology is doing it. I'm like, technology to me is like kind of a, a, a net neutral. I think that it's a positive thing in the sense that um, kids from Gen Z will have more global awareness, more connectivity. They understand the world around them. But it's also a lot of information for someone little to have. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do they process that? Right. And I, you know, some people are like, oh, it's social media and it's online bullying and it's this and it's that. And I'm like, I'm sure that there are a ton of factors but I'm curious, like for you with your practice and what you see, is that something that comes up a lot? And is this mindfulness something that you share with parents because of mental health concerns with teenagers? Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, to me, I mean, part of part of my life story is like, you know, pretty well adjusted for the most part. Um, and then off to college and I went to a pretty high pressure high school and then college and had kind of a meltdown for myself with anxiety, with depression, with mental health issues, with substances. And, and that's really when I kind of stumbled into mindfulness was shortly after that. Um, and I found it so helpful. And, and what I really wanted to do then was like, how can I share this with young people so they don't have to have to drop out of college for two years, you know, to kind of, you know, learn some real resilient skills. And, and I really like what you said about technology, which I think there's this old like Zen saying that says, the thinking mind is neither good nor evil. It can be your most terrible master or your most powerful servant, or I'm kind of bungling it. But like, I think that way about technology too. It should be our greatest servant. Too often it ends up our master. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. 
it's really just how we use it. It's not, it's not good or bad. We can use it for good or we can use it for more distraction and more feeling worse. And so it's, it's what we choose to do. But I do think, I mean, what we see is just epidemic rates of um, mental illness in our adolescents and, and actually in younger kids too. And we're seeing it going up. It's, it's actually leveling off a little bit right now, which is good. Um, and in college students. And so I, I worked for many years in college mental health and what I say year after year, there are many years where it would literally double the number of kids coming in for counseling. And like, that's a good thing. You want more kids coming in for counseling. I right, do need help. But it's like, why do so many kids need so much help? Mm-hmm. And it is just like more and more kids dropping out of college, more and more kids getting hospitalized in college and in high school and younger. Um, and so to me, and you know, I have a third of teenagers in, in high school will have some kind of mental health issue. Um, and so when I talk to parents, it's like, you know, it's, it's, if it's not your kid where there's a one in three chance, it's, it's going to be one of their friends Absolutely. and for, for you and for your kids to know how to, how to help that kid who's in need. Cause they might not want to talk to their parents. They might want to talk to you. That's scary. Or they might tell your, your son or daughter, and then they, they come to you. So we have to know, I think for one thing, you know, what the resources are, but also in a moment of crisis, like what's some good kind of psychological mental health first aid. And this to me is where mindfulness can, can come in a little bit. Like it's not going to fix everything. It's going to take work, you know, everything will, but like teaching a kid how to regulate their breath a little bit so that their panic can subside, Mm -hmm. teaching them how to, how to ground themselves so that they really feel their feet on the ground. Like when they're, you know, maybe, you know, experiencing something, you know, kind of that, that, that feels traumatic or something. Right. Like, and again, these are just like step one, there's so much more to do, but that these, these practices can be helpful as psychological first aid to help get that kid to safety. And even better than that, what these practices are is that they're like a public health intervention that builds more resilience. Mm-hmm. And this is what we see. We actually like you know, I just spent the weekend at this phenomenal conference and, um, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine and, and she has this wonderful mindfulness program with kids. And she was like, she hooked up with some researchers at MIT. They're scanning the brains of these like middle school kids. And what they're really seeing is, is, is more resilience in the brain, like less reactivity to stress. Like wow. really is like stress proofing these kids so that, yeah, like the, the amygdala, which is like the big alarm system in the brain or the teeny mm-hmm. alarm system in the brain, actually, but it feels like a big alarm that's going off. That's a part of the brain. It's too active. If you've got trauma, it's too active. If you're anxious, because those are both like having an alarm that goes off at all the wrong times. That part of the brain is like resetting so that it doesn't go off just like you know, if you've got a test coming up, you know, it goes off like, you know, if a bus cuts in front of you, like the alarm is going off at the right times. And that's so helpful for creating and cultivating more resilience in our kids so that they go off to college and their first, you know, like they, you know, have their first breakup or they get their first B minus or whatever. And these kids are, are able to manage it. Like that's, that's really the hope, but that's also what we see happening in the brain. You know, for kids that don't go off to college, it's, you know, like, you know, their first, you know, losing a job or their first mm-hmm. breakup or, you know, other things, you know, to really think about everybody. But it really does make kids' brains more resilient, which I just I just find so exciting. I think that that's fascinating that you can almost kind of like you're rewiring them, right? You're rewiring them for success. And I think that's like the one thing, there's this quote that's always stuck with me and it's like the devastation of a mother's love is she's always teaching her child to leave her, right? So 
my biggest responsibility is to make sure that when my child leaves me, she's prepared for tough situations. She's able to handle them because I'm not there for her. And I think because she has such big feelings, I probably worry more than <laughs> than I need to. Um, but it's it's like this responsibility that you feel to make sure that they're prepared. We actually we, she she and um, my my partner's daughter um, together asked if we could do role plays recently, and they pretended that they were away at college and calling me because they were being bullied by someone. And we walked through the whole scenario so that, like, we're creating trust and, like, that they can think through this and they know that they can reach out to me and, like, how quickly I can be there. But if I can't be there fast enough, what are their problem resolution skills, right? And who's in their support network? And I, I kind of I think it's funny because I sometimes feel like they're guiding the conversations and letting me know what they need. And I don't know if that's just because they feel safe, which, you know, is, is amazing. Um, right. But I think it's it's to me, I love that there's more conversations around mental health today. I have there's a therapist out of Dallas who I know she does a ton of work because they've lost too many students to suicide. And she's doing a ton of work because she's like, I can't handle it anymore. Like what's happening that it continues to hit this city over and over and over again. And, you know, I think it's it's people being able to talk about it and normalize that scary feelings happen to everyone and not be afraid of of stigma or, you know, talking mindfulness or medication if required. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love I love that more people are coming to the forefront to talk about it. I'm curious, like for you, like I know that you put books out there, you work with families and children and um, and you teach at Harvard when you're when you're teaching or are you teaching faculty or are you teaching mental health to students? Um, I do a number of different things there. So I, I, I mostly teaching to like residents and fellows, um, in the graduate school, like in the, you know, graduate school or, you know, in the medical school and that kind of thing, like getting their training through Cambridge health Alliance at the hospital. And then I put on a big conference for mostly like local providers, um, and also a lecture series that's mostly aimed at, um, people in training to be, become therapists or become doctors of some kind. Yeah. So I do a lot of different things there. I used to do a lot more like direct, direct work with the medical students. And I do some of that, but not quite as much as I used to. Yeah. But it's incredible to see this, like going into, into all kinds of education. Like there's Mm -hmm. been a lot of work to integrate this throughout the medical school and in other medical schools too, to bring mindfulness and self-care into medical education, which is like the first place it should be, but unfortunately seems to be the last place it ends up being. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. And it is just cool thinking about like, how do we start to teach these, these students who are coming through like Mm -hmm. a little bit more, both about self-care, but how they can be more present for their clients and then how they can teach these skills to their clients, um, or to their, their patients. Absolutely. And I think too, I'm loving, um, what I'm seeing schools, certain school districts around the country are starting to say like, rather than detention, we're teaching meditation or we're creating like life skills class and mindfulness because they recognize that students are leaving ill-prepared for the pressures of the world around them. And, you know, I don't know why I need woodworking and home ec. (laughs) Like, someone was like, why do I need to know, like, trig? Shouldn't you teach me about taxes? And I'm like, yes, we should teach you about taxes and, and credit. So I think there's there's a responsibility that I'm I'm seeing um, 
in probably people who've gone through themselves, like you mentioned, like for you, like you had your own experience and that's what took you um, on this journey. Um, I think with you, there's a lot of people within the older millennial and Gen X um, population who are like, okay, this has been my experience. How do I make it better for the people behind me? And I, I love watching that transition. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And it's and it's so cool, like watching it be go across the board from like preschool all the way up through college, graduate school, medical school. <laughs> like, you know, I've got I've got, as I said, a five year old and, and an almost two year old at home. And like, you know, it was like like I brought some of the stuff to the preschool where my son was and just watched it like blossom so quickly. The kids like got it. They're so interested in this. And the, the, the people working at the school were so interested and so on board. Mm-hmm. And then was talking to some other parents and they were like, it's actually kind of funny. It was a little bit, you know, like as a, this like dinner party of like all the preschool parents and they're like, Oh, they're doing this mindfulness thing. And like the green dragonflies are here. And I was sort of like, uh-huh. Yeah. Just like, I didn't like mention myself. I was just sort of like curious what they thought. Like, yeah. And some other parent was like, yeah, and they're doing it like in, you know, like in our kids, like grade school also. And it happened to be a district where I like also did some consulting. And again, it's not about me, but like what was really cool was seeing it's like, you know, these kids in, you know, when they're three and four, they're doing these like, you know, hot chalk up breaths or alligator breaths or something totally goofy Mm -hmm. that just teaches them to notice their breath and regulate their breath. And then they get into elementary school and they're doing like a little bit of that, but they're also just like, having the image in their mind and knowing how to do it. And they get a little bit older to middle school and they just know how to regulate their breath or pay attention to their senses in a different way when they need to. So that by the time they're in high school and the stresses kick up even more, it's not this new weird thing we're trying to teach teenagers. It's this thing they've done since they were three years old. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know, cause if you go into a school where they've never done mindfulness and you try to talk to teenagers, they're like, some of them are really into it. And some of them are like, this is weird. <laughs> All <it's> right. like, <laughs> it wouldn't be weird. And it's not weird for the kids that have done it since they were in preschool and then in elementary school and then in middle school. So mm-hmm. it's like amazing just watching this young generation just grow up with this really different experience of like, I'm learning how to self-regulate in school because that's important for my academics and for my emotional development and for my physical education. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just not a weird thing. And, and, and I just love seeing that happening in like little kind of like bursts and blooms, like all over the country and all over the world. Even I, I just find it so, so exciting to see that. You mentioned earlier that um, you talk kind of about, uh, like, is it kind of a body awareness? And I've noticed a lot of times kids don't feel completely um, as if they have ownership of their bodies. And I took my daughter to a, like, a, a dance class, right? It was one of those dance classes where it's just expressive dance and then you meditate or color afterwards. And she thought it was crazy at first, but she totally was into it. And I was like, there's something here, right? There's something about teaching a child how to to kind of more readily own their own space in their own bodies. How do, how do you teach that? I mean, in a few different ways. I mean, I'm not a yoga guy, but I'm a big believer in yoga for kids. Mm-hmm. I think, I think competitive sports are great when there's also non-competitive sports also. Like mm-hmm. I, I think teaching kids to do sports because there's something important about being on a team and all of that. And I think it's important for kids to do something that's just like a physical mastery like yoga or, or doing a sport that's not, you know, they don't 
it's not that they don't care about it, but they're not, you know, like it's not all about winning all the time um, or they, they do dance or something like that um, or some other way of like getting in touch with their body. I think mm-hmm. this can be so great for kids. I mean, I generally feel like all activities, it's it's okay to have one activity that's competitive and one that's like a non-competitive version, whether it's, you know, sports or arts or, you know, academics or whatever, you know, because, you know, I do feel like, you know, that, that what, what starts to happen is, you know, then kids, like they start to develop those other skills, like, like interoception, you know, really understanding, getting signals from deeper in their body that also are really helpful for emotional skills. There's also so much to be learned in terms of just, you know, your own body in space, feeling confident in your body, mm-hmm. knowing how different ways that you move your body will actually impact your emotional state and vice versa, which is not something I ever really got. I did a few competitive sports. I wasn't very good at them growing up, um, you know, and it felt so separate from kind of the, the mental aspect felt so diff- different and separate from the physical aspect. I think also as more coaches bring mindfulness into their work with kids, and you see this everywhere at the professional level, almost all sports teams now have what they call a mental fitness coach, which is really just a mindfulness instructor, <laughs> um, you know, or sports psychologist teaching the, the, the players some of this stuff. But as I go around to different high schools around the country, and even, you know, younger than that, what I see is this real interest in, you know, like, can my kids, you know, I just got this call from Chicago, you know, like, can you teach mindfulness to the lacrosse team in my suburb? And it was like, you know, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> maybe, but someone can. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that would be really helpful for those kids on so many levels. Like it would teach them self-awareness. It would teach them self-discipline. It would teach them body awareness. Mm-hmm. It would teach them, they would both probably become better athletes and also at the same time, maybe not, but, but better athletes in like the right way, you know, maybe not just get so hung up on winning, 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 but they'd be able to let things go when they don't win or they'd not, you know, feel cheated or blaming or, you know, like they'd see that it is just a game in some ways too. So I feel like, you know, there, there is so much to be taught. My friend Amy Saltzman's written some, some books about mindfulness and and student athletes. And I, I think those can be so powerful, but I also think for kids to have some kind of mastery, sport is a great thing, you know, like, like yoga or like martial arts or like fencing or like golf. That's, you know, something a little bit more solitary that really is about mastery of, of their own body in some ways. And that, that themselves is the greatest competitor, not the, you know, the town next door or something like that, um, to really like work on kind of self I don't want to say self-perfecting because I feel like perfection is like not is what we're trying to get away from here, but right. that goal of like continuous improvement in, in something and having, having discipline and with, you know, really just getting to know our bodies better and, and how they work and how to care for them, how to know when they're hungry, what they're hungry for, when do they actually need sleep? What's the healthiest kind of rest? When are we overexerting? Um, and again, how do they relate to our emotional state when we take good care of our bodies? Um, because that was a late lesson in life for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think as you were talking, I was like, this is something grownups need (laughs) because there's a lot of people who do not feel attached to their body or they hate it. Yeah, I was like, this is well. And I mean, you're basically setting a person up for success, right? Like, so if they learn mindfulness earlier in life, they can handle things as they come at them. They don't have as much of a risk factor with, you know, mental health, suicide and things like that. But then also, if you think about it, if someone starts to actually become they start to embody these things as a lifestyle, like you talked about mental fitness coaches for sports teams. I see it all the time. I was having this conversation with my partner the other day and I was like, 
every they they all have a Tony Robbins or they all have a they've got a somebody who's talking about their mindset. So and and every athlete that's got rings on their fingers or they they talk about the mental conditioning and seeing it before it happens, right? But they also talk about I've lost and I've had these experiences, but they built character. So there's this almost like this roundedness that's provided. And for me as a woman, right, raising girls, I think of like I want my children to feel um, ownership over their bodies so that as they move through life and in relationships, um, they always feel like this is mine. And I'm taking up space. Right. Yeah. As Like, so there's something that's important powerful to me. Powerful in my yes. body and I'm powerful in my mind. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's, there's so much there that I feel like our generation is trying to unwind <laughs> from previous traumas. You know, like we, I don't think I, I had to learn all this stuff. I had my own like dark night of the soul. And that's when I really moved into the self-development space because I was like, I can't live like this anymore. This isn't a way to live. And I think, you know, we all come to that and we want to make it better for the next gen. And I love that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that you're probably, are you a Gen Xer? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm I figured. 42. Yeah. 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 Same, same thing. Um, so what they say that we're the uh, the quiet generation, I feel like we're the ones that are making like a lot of difference. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. And like really trying to do something different for our kids. And like, yeah, yeah sorry, I keep cutting you off. But no, you're good. <laughs> I'm too excited. No, it's so funny. I, I, I feel like that way. Like I, I read all this stuff and I, I love millennials and I love Gen Z and I've done a lot of research on both populations um, and 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 what they're doing and what their influences are. And I think that they're going to be world changers. But I'm very proud of the folks that share space with me right now because I'm like, we're doing some serious stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions um, that I ask everyone. So based on um, based on I, I loved you sharing a little bit about your, your personal story. If you were to look back at a younger version of yourself, what age would you be and what advice would you provide? Mm. Well, I mean, if I gave my teenage self some advice, I don't think my teenage self would listen. So that's a tricky one. Um, you know, I think like, you know, maybe in my, you know, I think talking to myself in my, in my early twenties, which I think is actually really underappreciated, difficult time in life. I, I, I mentioned I work with, with kids and with teenagers. I work a lot with young adults and college students too. Um, there's actually going to be a topic of probably a, a book I'm, I'm just starting now. Um, but I think the hardest year in life for many people is that year, like after college or that first year away from home, um, it's just so it's just such a shock kind mm -hmm. of entering the world. And I, and I wish I'd known that that more would be OK um, and that I could take more kind of take take more risks, um, the healthy kind of risks um, and, and, and enjoy that time and not rush. Um, that's advice I give a lot of young people. I, I did eventually kind of realize that at some point when you're young, what you have oftentimes is, is, is time, but not a lot of money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and when you're older, hopefully you have a little bit of money, but you really don't have a lot of time. Um, and that's just because work takes up time and relationships and, and, and having a family and things like that. And I, and I wish I'd kind of understood that a little bit better and not, not rushed and worried about some, some other things at that point and done a bit more self-exploration. I think I did a pretty good job, but I think 
those are some things I might do a little bit differently um, if I could uh, just not 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 worry or feel like that sense of urgency to be um, a full on grown up. Um, mm. so young, I guess is that I don't know whether that's making much sense, but um, yeah, no, I get that. I think I hear that from I, I feel like even now, like we're all kind of in this rush to like have an answer. Right. And sometimes I have to even remind myself to to this day, like it's it's a marathon, not a sprint. Right. And you're pace yourself. And every single thing that se- seemed like a big deal at the end of the day was just something that you did once upon a time, you know, and it's when you can get that perspective. Um, if you were to be transitioning from this life and you wanted to leave behind some gold nuggets of wisdom or inspiration, what would they be? I think, I think slow down, um, appreciate being with people, um, travel and buy carbon offsets if you travel. Um, (laughs) um, I think those are, those have been such important things to me. Um, be kind, start out being kinder, younger, um, Mm. because it only becomes clear how important it is, um, later in life. Um, you know, just, you know, those, those things that actually matter are, are those connections with other people, maybe not be quite so competitive. Um, I think, uh, in, in, in all ways, you know, competitive, um, I think, and just, just, um, yeah, learn, learning how to let things go. Um, but I think really caring, caring for the planet's become particularly important for me. Uh, as I get older, um, for my, for my kids and hopefully potential grandkids at some point. So yeah, this is some of the things I think about a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that. Be kinder, younger, be kinder, faster. That's like a hashtag or something. I love that. It's like, because it is important. We tell people how important it is to be kind, but, um, it's, I, I was talking to someone about this the other day. I was, um, at the gym and there were some women talking near me, and they were just gossiping and trashing a fr- someone in their friend group. And I was just like, oh, I never want to go back to that space, <laughs> like where gossip was the way to connect, you know? And we don't realize, like, who's listening and, and how our words affect people. Um, I want to thank you so much for sharing your gold, your wisdom, and yours, your your deep knowledge. Um, thank you for my free therapy session. Hey, <laughs> you got it. I appreciate you so much. I know you have. I, I, we have breathing makes it better in our home, and you have another book coming out. Can you remind me of the name of it? I do. I've, I've got, the other book you should check out is Alpha Breath, which is an alphabet of mindful breathing practices, and it's totally goofy and fun and wonderful to do and make up new ones with your kids. And then um, my wife and I, and, you know, with some feedback from my son, actually, um, have a new book coming out in April called The Breathing Book. And it's it's super fun. The, the book is kind of the object of meditation. So it's kind of fun things to do with the book. It's like you turn one page and it's like, now balance the book on your head. And then you turn the next page and it's like, try turning the page just using your breath. And then it's, you know, listen to the sound of the page turning. Does turning page 12 sound different than turning page 20? And so it really uses the book. You put on your belly and feel your belly move up and down um, as the as the thing to really bring your awareness to. So it's a really interactive, totally 
not much else out there like it, especially in the mindfulness space books. I'm, I'm super psyched about that. And, and it was really a, a treat to get to write with my wife and with my family. I love that. It's going to be something that you guys will always have together. That's amazing. Wonderful. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you too. I look forward to, to, to listening to, to more of the episodes of your show too. Thanks for teaching me about it. And now I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me today. I love Dr. Willard's reminder to be kinder faster. You can find him on Instagram at Dr. Chris Willard and online at drchristopherwillard.com. As always, please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and don't forget to share with your friends. You can find me on Instagram at either ms.janetteschneider or the live movement at loveisviral.media or live at loveisviral.com. Get deep in the work with me to uncover your messaging before you pass it on to your children or the people you influence. Order my book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future, available on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. Until next time, in the words of my grandma, love each other every day.